This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Welcome, listener. I'm glad you're here. Take a seat. Next to the fire. Welcome to Obscura, where we shine a light on the dark. surprises. James Field Jr. was born on April 26, 1997. Before he had even been born, his mother Samantha had experienced her own share of tragedy. When she was only 16, Samantha's parents divorced, and she and her mother moved out into an apartment of their own. According to the Cincinnati Inquirer, only months later, in August 1984, Samantha's father murdered her mother before taking his own life. In mid-1996, Samantha became pregnant. There appears to be little information available about how she met her son's father, James Sr., who sadly wouldn't live to meet his son. In December 1996, five months before James Jr. was born, 33-year-old James Sr. was killed in a car crash near Erlanger, Kentucky. The Washington Post reported that James Sr. had left his unborn son money, which was to be kept in a trust until he reached adulthood. According to the New York Times, James grew up near Cincinnati and also spent a lot of his life in northern Kentucky. Samantha was confined to a wheelchair due to paraplegia. Mother and son lived in Florence, Kentucky, where Samantha also worked. James' family was said to have a history of bipolar disorder and James himself battled mental illness from childhood, resulting in three hospitalizations during his school years and numerous interventions by medical professionals. James often experienced a loss of emotional and behavioral control in stressful situations, responding with aggression and angry outbursts. His family otherwise found him quiet and unremarkable, but from late 2010 onwards, Samantha regularly contacted the police for assistance. Concern about her teenage son had now developed into fear. As James continued to act out, becoming violent towards his mother, Samantha reported to the police on several occasions that James had threatened to beat her, taken her phone, hit her in the head, threatened her with a knife, and spat in her face. In late 2011, James was arrested and spent time in a juvenile detention facility. By this age, the 14-year-old had started doodling swastikas at school and had developed an intense fascination with Adolf Hitler. Following a psychological evaluation in January 2012, James was found to have depressive disorder, oppositional defiant disorder, a mood disorder, 
Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, Schizoid Personality Disorder, Parent-Child Relational Issues, and Antisocial Traits. By now, James had started high school at Randall K. Cooper High School in Union, Kentucky. He was prescribed antipsychotic medication, which seemed to help regulate his behavioral responses. Despite his outbursts at home, James' classmates and teachers generally found him to be quiet and odd. He had a few friends, but kept mostly to himself. James continued to speak openly about idolizing Hitler, and now identified as a Nazi sympathizer who aligned himself with white supremacist ideology. James' teachers found him to be intelligent, but his openly racist commentary, slurs, and behavior intimidated both his peers and teaching staff. Two of his classmates recalled James frequently talking about the need for a violent revolution to deal with the problems that he believed Jews, African Americans, and others he perceived to be non-white posed to American society. One classmate later recalled, He would always be determined that violence was the answer. He would always make a reference to what Hitler did as the solution to our problems. On another occasion, James told a classmate that the United States should have kept its military segregated. His reasoning was that he was planning to join the army. In the heat of battle, he felt he'd turn his gun on any fellow soldiers who were African-American, Jewish, or Hispanic. In another instance, James asked a classmate, What sound does a chainsaw make? Before answering his own question, Run, nigger. Nigger, run. James was eventually suspended for calling an African-American special needs teacher the N-word, telling a school administrator, I don't want any nigger calling me down to this office. I don't want to work with him. He is not the same as you and me. You can't change my mind. According to USA Today, when James was in his senior year, he applied to join the army but was turned down. He took to openly expressing his support for presidential candidate Donald Trump on the basis of Trump's immigration policy and his proposal regarding the U.S.-Mexican border. When James turned 18 in April, he chose to stop taking his prescribed medication. He demanded access to the money left in trust for him by his late father and in June 2015 purchased his first vehicle, a 2010 Dodge Challenger. In that same year, James went on a class trip to Europe where his disturbing behavior only saw his classmates further distance himself from his white supremacist extremism. James' roommate from the trip later told the Associated Press that James was the most excited about visiting Germany, which James referred to as the fatherland. During a trip to Dachau concentration camp in the south of the country, James' classmates noticed he was excitedly exploring the site. At one point referring to Jewish prisoners, he gleefully exclaimed, This is where the magic happened. And it's almost like you can still hear them screaming. James graduated high school in 2015. He applied for the Army a second time and was successful, commencing basic training that August. However, according to the Cincinnati Enquirer, only four months later he was released from active duty due to failure to meet training standards. In September 2016, Samantha and James moved to Mommy near Toledo, Ohio, to allow Samantha to take up a job opportunity. Early the following year, James moved into his own apartment. The New York Times reported that James started working as a security guard, as well as at a grocery store, and spent his spare time playing video games. He was also extremely active on a range of social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where he was prolific poster of anti-Semitic, white supremacist, and racist content. 
This included Nazi propaganda and symbols associated with the far right, and rhetoric openly expressing intolerance and hatred of African Americans, Jews, and anyone he perceived as not being Caucasian. From March 2017 onwards, James repeatedly tweeted the hashtag, hashtag Hitler was right, punctuated tweets with, see Kale, referred to African Americans as, nigger, gorilla, and retard, and to Jews as kikes. In April, James tweeted that he advocated for the creation of labor camps where individuals could be worked to death. In early May, he posted, Rid the world of Jews, and we as a people need to reclaim leadership of our nation and cast off the shackles of the Jew. In mid-May, James posted two memes to Instagram depicting a car slamming through a group of protesters accompanied by racist comments and slurs. On June 28th, he posted, There's nothing supremacist about wanting the nations of my people built to be inhabited by my people. In early July 2017, James messaged an Instagram user saying, Stupid nigger, you'll be a slave again once we complete the Colorgy plan. Praise the New World Order. In mid-July, he followed up with, The Holocaust is a lie. Other tweets included, Europeans are the superior subspecies. The average black has an IQ of 65 to 75, the range of a retard. And the white race built modern civilization. Looking at all we've accomplished, no other race can even compete. The Thursday prior to the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, James learned that he could take off work that weekend, which would allow him to attend. Before leaving Ohio, he briefly discussed his plans via text message with his mother. Several of the messages James sent were openly racist. In response, Samantha told James to be careful and participate peacefully. James texted Samantha back saying, We're not the ones who need to be careful, accompanied by a picture of Hitler. James left mommy on the Friday evening, driving eight hours through the night and arriving in Charlottesville around 2 a.m. He parked his Dodge at the McDonald's where he dozed for a few hours and played video games to pass the time. Coincidentally, this was the same parking lot where Heather would park her car nine hours later when she arrived to attend the counter-protest. On Saturday morning, James drove to the Waffle House where he ate breakfast before returning to the McDonald's parking lot. There was still more than three hours before the rally was scheduled to begin at midday, but when James saw all right demonstrators heading towards Emancipation Park on foot, he decided to follow them. Like many of his fellow protesters, he was dressed in a white polo shirt and khakis. Photos and videos later recovered by investigators showed James mingling and chatting with other white supremacist demonstrators. That same morning, James sent his mother photos he took of young Jewish men on the streets of Charlottesville wearing traditional head coverings, as well as media photos taken at the march the evening prior at the University of Virginia campus. As the morning went on, Altercations began to erupt between rally supporters and counter-protesters in the vicinity of the park. James acquired a shield bearing the logo of a white supremacist group in attendance and joined a group of similarly armed protesters around the perimeter of the park who were yelling racist, homophobic, and anti-Semitic slurs including Fuck you faggots and Jews will not replace us. It was around 11 a.m. when local officials declared a state of emergency. A witness who videoed the spectacle was given the middle finger by James. 
who was said by a fellow rally participant to be enjoying himself. Along with other alt-right protesters, James remained at the park until Charlottesville PD declared the gathering unlawful at around 11.30 a.m. As violence broke out when white supremacist protesters clashed with counter-protesters, many demonstrators, including James, moved on to McIntyre Park on the outskirts of downtown Charlottesville before they were again dispersed by law enforcement. By this time, James had met three other alt-right supporters who, like him, had parked their cars downtown. James got to know the three other demonstrators by discussing their respective political ideologies. James explained he supported National Socialism and that he'd read Hitler's autobiography, Mein Kampf. The three demonstrators later told federal investigators they saw no indication that James was anxious or fearful for his safety on that day. Court documents indicate that many rally supporters, including James and his three new acquaintances, returned to the downtown area. Smaller groups and counter-protesters continued to linger and engage in spontaneous marches and celebrations for several hours after the original rally was aborted. James offered to drive his three companions back to their cars. The group accepted, and James dropped off two members of the group at the Jefferson School on 4th Street. On the way to drop off the third person at the Market Street parking garage, James drove past a crowd of counter-protesters. James' remaining companion asked if he should roll down his window and call the counter-protesters nigger. James drove on, dropping the demonstrator off on Market Street between 5th and 6th Streets. James wasn't sure how to find his way out of town to get back on the road to Ohio, so he typed Mommy into Google Maps on his phone. The directions instructed James to continue straight ahead, turn west on Market Street, then right past Emancipation Park which would lead him to the intersection near the McDonald's where he had originally parked. He would then turn south, which would take him to I-64. However, the map didn't take into account the fact that traffic had been blocked off by police at the intersection of Market Street and 4th Street, preventing James from heading west on Market Street. The location information on James' phone indicated that he turned into 4th Street, where he was now three blocks north of the crowd of counter-protesters gathered on the intersection of Water Street including Heather and her friends. By this stage, James was driving behind the Toyota, a block further up. He hesitated when he arrived at the intersection of Market and 4th Streets. From where he'd stopped, James had a clear view of the next part of 4th Street ahead of him. It was a narrow side street which sloped downhill for two blocks, crossing a raised portion of the city's main street that converted into the pedestrianized mall. Continuing past the mall, 4th Street flattened out where it was intersected with Water Street. When James momentarily stopped at the crossing, a group of counter-protesters had gathered at the lower intersection. Both the minivan and the Toyota stopped at the intersection to let the crowd pass. James continued on slowly down 4th Street, crossing the pedestrian mall. He headed towards the lower portion of 4th Street where the crowd was beginning to turn the corner. Suddenly, James' path was blocked by the Toyota and a crowd up ahead, so he came to a stop. With no other vehicles or people behind him, James slowly reversed his car back up 4th Street towards the intersection from where he'd come, stopping near the top of the hill. He had a clear path to take a detour backing out onto Market Street, where he could turn and drive away from the crowd to find an alternative route out of the city. Instead, he revved the engine and accelerated, tires screeching as he hurtled through a stop sign and across the mall. The Dodge traveled so fast as James accelerated over the elevated portion of the roadway 
that the undercarriage slammed into the incline at the entrance to the mall, causing some of it to break off, sending the vehicle airborne. James briefly lost control, but he tapped his brakes as he crossed the mall, again accelerating into the crowd without braking, striking one person after another. Many in the crowd jumped and pushed others out of the way as they saw the vehicle headed straight for them. At least 30 others, including Heather, weren't so fortunate. James only came to a stop when he collided with the rear of the Toyota, forcing it into the rear of the minivan in front, pushing it into the intersection. As the Dodge came to a halt, the crowd began attacking the vehicle, smashing the rear window. James quickly put the Dodge in reverse and accelerated back up 4th Street, ramming into more counter-protesters. After reaching the top of the hill, James turned down to Market Street and sped away from the scene. Part 4. Righteous Action As investigations into the attack continued by the Charlottesville Police, the FBI and the Department of Justice, it was announced that there was a strong possibility James would face federal charges for crossing state lines to commit a hate crime. In a damage control exercise the day after Heather's death, the organizer of the rally spoke publicly in an effort to distance himself from the crime. But the press conference was aborted following a confrontation with outraged counter-protesters. An evening vigil was planned in Charlottesville the day following the attack. Organizers were forced to abandon the idea due to safety concerns over threats made by all-right groups. Despite the formal event being canceled, counter-protesters and members of the community visited the site of the attack to pay their respects to Heather, pray, express their grief, and find comfort amongst those experiencing the same shock, pain, and despair. Those who gathered left balloons, flowers, candles, and messages of love drawn on the roadway in colorful chalk, mourning Heather's loss. Heather's friend Marcus, who was injured in the attack, attended the vigil in a wheelchair due to his injuries. He spoke to ABC News Australia about his message for the president following the tragedy. Donald Trump is Donald Trump. People voted for him. This is what you wanted. And now that things is happening. And they're getting worse daily, day by day by day. What's your plan? What's your plan behind all this? What are you going to do to prevent this? What are you going to do to help have his mom mourn her loss of her daughter? What are you going to do for that? That's, that's something that you have to ask yourself when you wake up and look in the mirror. What are you going to do? How are you going to fix this? You can't bring it back. You can't reincarnate it. What are you going to do? The images of the vigil from Charlottesville were echoed in other gatherings around the country as the outpouring of grief made national and international headlines. Following Heather's death, a crowdfunding page for her funeral expenses was established by her friend, Felicia, who told The Guardian, She died doing what was right. My heart is broken. But I am forever proud of her. When the campaign far exceeded its original target, Heather's mother Susan knew it was vital for the funds donated so generously to be used in a meaningful way to honor Heather's legacy. Along with Heather's boss Alfred, Susan established the Heather Hire Foundation, focused on civil rights. The nonprofit foundation awards scholarships to people dedicated to affecting positive social change 
This includes scholarships for those seeking to further their studies in the fields of law, social work, social justice, and education. On August 14th, James appeared in court via video link from jail. He was charged with one count of second-degree murder, three counts of malicious wounding, and one count of failing to stop at an accident. The court heard that James was receiving treatment for a range of mental illnesses, including bipolar disorder, anxiety, and depression. Bail was denied, with James' next court appearance scheduled for 10 days later. FBI investigators continued to work on laying domestic terrorism charges against James under federal hate crime legislation. The same day as James' court appearance, 10 of the injured counter-protesters had been discharged from hospital. The nine who remained hospitalized were making an encouraging physical recovery. In the meantime, President Trump made the following statement, We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence. I think there is blame on both sides. You look at both sides, and I have no doubt about it, but you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. The backlash over Trump's failure to denounce right-wing nationalists was severe. Former Republican President George H.W. and George W. Bush issued a joint statement saying, America must always reject racial bigotry, anti-Semitism, and hatred in all forms. Numerous business associates of the president on government advisory councils resigned. The criticism extended internationally, with then-British Prime Minister Theresa May denouncing any world leaders who failed to condemn far-right-wing sentiment. Amongst the president's many critics was Heather's mother, Susan, who responded to his statement by saying she wouldn't be speaking with him further on the matter. You can't say there were good people coming into town prepared to do harm. That's not good people. You can't wash this one away by shaking my hand and saying, I'm sorry, I'm not forgiving that. A detective came and knocked on the door, and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me down there my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts, and follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. 
Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. On August 16th, a crowd of more than 1,000 people consisting of Heather's family, friends, prominent city officials and politicians attended her public funeral at the Charlottesville Paramount Theater. Those attending were asked to wear something purple, which was Heather's favorite color. Many of the mourners, including Heather's friends, Courtney, Marcus, and Marissa, donned purple t-shirts with Heather's picture on the front, below the quote in bold letters, If you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. Thankfully, no security issues were presented by all-right groups which many had feared would attempt to use the event as another opportunity to protest. Inside the theater, Heather's family, friends, co-workers, and her boss spoke about Heather with love, fondness, and humor. The Washington Post reported that her father, Mark, described his beloved daughter as defiant, strong-willed, and compassionate, and always argued for what she thought was right. When her mother, Susan, took the podium, making reference to Heather's thought-provoking Facebook post from the previous November, everyone could see where Heather got the fire in her belly. Because here's the message. Although Heather was a caring and compassionate person, so were a lot of you. A lot of you go that extra mile. And I think the reason that what happened to Heather has struck a chord is because we know that what she did is achievable. We don't all have to die. We don't all have to sacrifice our lives. They tried to kill my child to shut her up. Well, guess what? You just magnified her. So remember in your heart, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. And I want you to pay attention, find what's wrong, don't ignore it, don't look the other way. You make a point to look at it and say to yourself, what can I do to make a difference? And that's how you're going to make my child's death worthwhile. I'd rather have my child, but by golly, if I got to give her up, we're going to make it count. The service concluded with a stirring a cappella rendition of Amazing Grace, performed by the wife of the pastor of Charlottesville's Mount Zion First African Baptist Church. The Hill.com reported that Heather's family had to go to the extreme lengths of interring Heather's ashes at a secret location to protect the site from potential vandalism and damage by neo-Nazis and white supremacists. Susan received threats to her safety from various individuals who were investigated by the FBI but the people responsible were never identified. While numerous additional charges of malicious wounding and aggravated malicious wounding were brought against James Fields, the debate over the removal of the Confederate statues and monuments continued to dominate the headlines. The New York Times reported that almost a week after the attack, the mayor of Charlottesville requested an emergency session of General Assembly be convened, facilitating the removal of the statue of Robert E. Lee in Emancipation Park. The Los Angeles Times reported that that same day, the organizer of the deadly rally, Jason Kessler, took to Twitter where he said, 
Heather Heyer was a fat, disgusting communist. Communists have killed 94 million. Looks like it was payback time. Other alt-right leaders, including those who attended the rally, quickly sought to distance themselves from Jason's comments. Part 5. Tragedy into Action As the investigation continued, police made detailed inquiries with James' mother. Samantha had first learned of the shocking news when a TV crew visited her at home. Genuinely bewildered, she told investigators that she didn't know the details or specifics of why James had attended the rally. NPR reported that as far as Samantha knew, her son had attended a rally for the president. While politics wasn't something that Samantha had discussed with James, she expressed surprise that her son would be interested in attending an all-right political event. Susan told the Washington Post that she didn't want people to hate James because it wasn't what Heather would have wanted. Susan used her platform to express strong doubts that there would have been the same level of media coverage if a person of color had been killed instead of Heather, reminding reporters that the incident was about placing systemic racism at the center of the discussion, not Heather herself. Heather's mother, Susan, told Obscura, I was determined to tell the truth and tell people who Heather was. She was actually afraid of violence. In terms of the civil rights movement, Heather is important, but at the same time, She's also not important. If Heather was alive today, she'd be on fire about what's happening. Passionately involved, tweeting and Instagramming, the myth of the sanctity of white womanhood means Heather wouldn't have received the same attention if she was an African-American woman or African-American man. In the months following Heather's murder, Susan was inundated with contact from Charlottesville locals who dealt directly with Heather in the course of her work at Miller Law Group who were grateful for her compassion and honesty in their dealings. Speaking about James, Heather's father, Mark, told WESH2 News, I will grieve for my daughter probably for the rest of my life, but I don't want it to end there. I want her death to mean something, you know? To wake people up. I don't care who you are. Everybody has a circle of influence. I don't care how small it is. Affect those people around you positively. We gotta change people's hearts. That's an insurmountable task. While many alt-right groups and prominent figures publicly denounced James' actions, this didn't stop online fundraising campaigns being established to raise money for his legal expenses. The Independent reported that both GoFundMe and Kickstarter removed accounts seeking donations to pay for James' defense. The campaigns violated both companies' terms and conditions regarding hate speech. There was no indication that James felt any remorse for his actions or that his arrest and upcoming trial had caused him to reconsider his extreme views. In his phone calls from jails, which were mostly with his mother, James maintained racist and anti-Semitic beliefs. In a phone call to Samantha on December 7th, less than four months after the attack, he made reference to Heather's mom, Susan. Her mother is going around, doing speeches and shit, slandering me. She's one of those anti-white, communist cunts, an anti-white liberal. She's the enemy. It's not up for questioning. She is. She's the enemy, mother. Stop fucking questioning me. At the preliminary hearing a week later in Charlottesville Circuit Court, the public learned that 35 people had actually been injured in the attack, 16 more than originally estimated. The charge relating to Heather was upgraded to first-degree murder, and the 10 charges James was facing in total were heard by a grand jury who decided to proceed with indictment. 
Two days later, on December 20th, Heather's family and friends attended a dedication ceremony in downtown Charlottesville, where Heather lost her life, renaming that portion of 4th Street Honorary Heather Higher Way. Heather's mother, Susan, had expressed a desire for this particular commemoration in lieu of another permanent public memorial, telling WSLS News, I want them to think that Heather was an ordinary person who managed to stand up for what she believed in, and that made an extraordinary impact. Because we don't know what the impact of our actions is going to be, good, bad, or otherwise. So we all need to stand up and take a stand for what's right. Take a stand for what's good in this world. The first Christmas and New Year without Heather came and went. And in early January 2018, James chose to waive his constitutional right to a speedy trial. Much to the frustration of Heather's supporters and the progressive Charlottesville community, the statue of Robert E. Lee was still standing in Emancipation Park. Since the attack, it had been shrouded in black tarpaulins, as had the statue of Thomas Jackson. But in February 2018, a Virginia judge ordered that the coverings be removed. Federal investigators took 10 months to prepare their case against James. In addition to proving that he intentionally drove into the crowd of counter-protesters, Prosecutors had to find evidence supporting the assertion that James was motivated by racist, white supremacist ideology. During the original search of his apartment, investigators found a neo-Nazi flag hanging on his bedroom wall, an A4-sized framed photograph of Hitler, and a copy of Mein Kampf displayed prominently on James' bedside table. On June 27, 2018, a federal grand jury indicted James on a total of 30 charges under two hate crime statutes. These included 29 counts of willfully causing or attempting to cause bodily injury to anyone because of their actual or perceived race, color, religion, or national origin, and others he perceived to be non-white. James was also charged with intentionally killing and attempting to kill more than one person in a single criminal episode. On July 5th, he pled not guilty to all 30 charges. A year after Heather's murder... A statue of Robert E. Lee in Emancipation Park, which had since been renamed Market Street Park, was still standing. Much of the Charlottesville community rallied behind Heather's family and her support for Black Lives Matter. But there was still an undercurrent of resistance that pushed back against both the movement and ongoing publicity around Heather's death. In the lead-up to the one-year anniversary of Heather's murder, a state of emergency was declared across the whole of Virginia, in an effort to discourage any further protests or demonstrations. On the one-year anniversary of Heather's murder, anti-fascist protesters, including Black Lives Matter activists, marched in Heather's honor and to protest white supremacy. While no right-wing extremist attended, a heavy police presence saw scuffles break out between peaceful protesters and law enforcement as tensions escalated. From behind barricades, protesters chanted Heather's name, and whose streets? Our streets. Flowers, signs, pinwheels, prayer flags, and candles were laid as people gathered at the spot where Heather was killed. As had been the case a year earlier following the attack, the brick walls on either side of the street and the roadway bore hundreds of colorful messages of peace and love, written in chalk, including one saying, Gone, but not forgotten. James' first trial commenced in Charlottesville Circuit Court on November 29, 2018. 
After a week of hearing evidence, the jury deliberated for seven hours before finding James guilty of first-degree murder, hit and run, and malicious wounding. The jury recommended that he be imprisoned for life for Heather's murder, and that he receive an additional 419 years as punishment for the other counts against him. It was also recommended that James pay $480,000 in restitution. Four months later, on March 26, 2019, James altered his federal plea and pleaded not guilty to 29 of the 30 federal hate crime charges. In return, the prosecution were required to agree not to seek the death penalty. Despite the change in James' plea, the prosecution argued that his crimes were so horrendous that they outweighed any factors forming a basis for leniency when it came to sentencing him to life in prison. The court heard that there was nothing to suggest that James was suffering from a significantly reduced mental capacity when he drove through the crowd, or that a reduced mental capacity contributed substantially to the commission of the crime. The prosecution argued that James deliberately accelerated into the crowd solely because he saw it as a group of people supporting Black Lives Matter. Before the judge announced James' sentence, 21 victim impact statements were read into court, describing the atmosphere and detailing the experiences of numerous survivors. Shane Waters, host and producer of Foul Play, a crime podcast, will guest read these victim impact statements now. I thought bombs were going off, but it was actually people getting hit by the car. I heard these thumps, loud thumps, and then there were bodies in the air. The sound I heard next will stay with me. Dozens of thuds in rapid succession. It was the sound of bodies hitting metal. We were under attack. I knew my face was wet with blood. I was in shock, and I did not know what happened to me. There was a moment I thought I could be dying. I am repugnantly reminded of what the screams of maimed and terrorized people sound like. I knew that it was an act of terror. I had to fight the feeling of wanting to go to sleep because I thought I would surely die. If those other cars hadn't been there, he would have killed so many more people. I watched a bunch of outsiders bring hate and terror into my community. The New York Times reported that the defense claimed that life imprisonment without the possibility of parole was unconstitutionally cruel and unusual, saying that James had recommenced taking medication since he was taken into custody, which successfully controlled his symptoms, mood, and anger. The defense went on to say that James had a lifetime history of, quote, outbursts of impulsive aggression when feeling stressed. They argued that by the time he drove his car into the crowd, he was sleep-deprived, dehydrated by the hot weather, fatigued by walking, had been yelled at by counter-protesters, and possibly had urine thrown on him, saying, He was ill-equipped to handle such a situation. He had never before been in an uncontrolled crowd situation and lacked the emotional tools or maturity to react to what confronted him. The defense also argued that James played no part in organizing the rally, nor was he affiliated with any of the groups in attendance or any alt-right or white supremacist organizations. James' lawyer claimed their client drove into the crowd when he was attempting to leave the rally to return home to Ohio. When James realized that the street was blocked by counter-protesters, he made a split-second and fatal decision to drive through them instead of finding an alternative route. 
the survivors and their families, including Heather's loved ones, didn't believe for a minute that James was surprised he had killed someone. They believe that in all likelihood, James Fanning's shock upon his arrest was a calculated response he could later rely on in court to defend his motives. The judge rejected this argument and, on June 28, 2019, sentenced James to life in prison. 28 of the life sentences would run concurrently, as does his state sentence. Heather's mother, Susan, spoke to the media following sentencing about her reaction. Theoretically, he caused a lot of harm to the white supremacist movement. For that, I'm glad. Um, I think a lot of people were just mouthing things and not really thinking about the consequences of what could happen. So this sends a louder, clearer message that you don't have uh, a lack of consequences. You have some pretty serious consequences. And frankly, probably one of the reasons he's not facing the death penalty is because he pled out. Knowing that he won't be out again to cause more harm to more people helps. Knowing that a clear message has been sent, hoping to prevent other deaths, that helps. Um, other than that, I'm kind of done with him and I'm moving on with my, my life. I have things to do. James' sentence for his first conviction was affirmed by the court two weeks later. In addition to his federal life sentence, he received another, plus 419 years. In September 2019, Susan filed a $12 million wrongful death lawsuit against James, saying, We want to show others that there are serious consequences for actions of hatred and violence. This lawsuit is a way to continue to extinguish hatred. That same month, James was ordered by the court to pay $75,000 of his restitution penalty to other parties injured in the attack. In December 2019, the Daily Progress reported that James filed an appeal against his state conviction. And what of the statute that was the focus of the deadly rally in the first place? A Virginia court ruled in 2019 that local authorities were unable to remove the statues of either Robert E. Lee or Thomas Jackson. Under state law, the statues are protected as designated war memorials. plaque dedicated to Heather's memory was erected at the Southern Poverty Law Center in Montgomery, Alabama. Her mother, Susan, continues to campaign tirelessly for social justice and fighting hatred in her roles as president and chair of the board of Heather Heyer Foundation. Susan continues to spread the message that Heather's death is a call to action for everyone to speak up against racism and inequality, no matter how small the act. In May 2019, at a hearing in Washington, D.C., held by the U.S. House Subcommittee on Civil Rights and Civil Liberties on Confronting White Supremacy, Susan gave evidence and met with Democratic Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. As Susan told Obscura, It's not fair that I have this platform without my daughter to do this work with me, but I'm going to use it. In speaking with us about ongoing efforts to dismantle systemic racism, Susan explained, We still have a long way to go. White people benefit from the systems currently in place. I believe people can be de-radicalized. Some of the people who attended the march on that Friday evening later contacted me asking for forgiveness. But it's not up to me to forgive them. It's up to them to seek forgiveness from the community. To date, the Heather Heyer Foundation has awarded $20,000 in scholarships to both local and mature-age students 
Eligible candidates must demonstrate their involvement in activism for positive, nonviolent social change and that they are pursuing education in those areas. The Foundation is not about creating activists, but empowering them. Susan spoke to Obscura about her advice for taking action against hate at grassroots levels. We had the opportunity to make changes when Heather died, and we didn't do it. More people are talking, but we have the opportunity now to make the serious, systemic changes needed. The status quo isn't working for everyone, so we need to find a solution that works. Educate yourself. Read and listen. Don't ask black people. The information is out there about how you can help. It's not going to feel comfortable, but be open-minded. We were deeply honored to speak at length with Susan Bro in the process of conducting our research for today's story. We are incredibly grateful to her for sharing her time, memories of Heather, and her thoughts on the state of the civil rights movement in the U.S. today. For those interested in further reading about tackling racism, Susan recommends additional resources including books by authors and educators, Ibram X. Kendi and Catrice Jackson, and former white supremacist Christian Piccolini. Links to these, as well as information about how you can donate to the Heather Heyer Foundation and the Southern Poverty Law Center, are included in the show notes for today's episode, as well as on our website. Thank you for listening, and keep the fire burning.